Our God answers prayer. Amen? Amen. Here we are on Pentecost Sunday. Maybe you didn't know that. That's good news. And we're celebrating, and it's a joy to declare we worship one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have a relationship. You have a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God gives us so many gifts. The Father gave his Son to die on the cross, pay the full price for our sins, and he's risen. The gifts don't stop there. Jesus ascended into heaven through Pentecost. The Holy Spirit now dwells in anyone who's put their trust in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, put your trust in him, the Holy Spirit is in you. And that's a very, very good thing. That's a very, very good thing. That means you are empowered. You are not alone. That means the Holy Spirit... Listen, we don't have a spirit of timidity, but power in love. And the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. When you see darkness and corruption in the world, know that the Holy Spirit is stronger than any demons or demonic activity or evil that you see. And the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, restore you, train you, guide you, empower you, lead you. And when you're full of the Spirit, you have love, joy, and peace. Can we thank God for the Holy Spirit? The key to the Christian life is to be filled with the Holy Spirit where you live, work, learn, or play. It's an awesome relationship. Stay tuned in to the Holy Spirit. Listen to God. The Bible says keep in step with the Spirit. Pentecost Sunday, not just for today. That's how we live. That's how we live and follow Jesus together. Part of that empowering, when God empowers you, then you're going to empower other people. And families will be strengthened. Strengthen your family is the message today. And this applies In terms of your local church, Paul is writing the Corinthians, strengthen your church family. God's family, brothers and sisters, we celebrate in heaven people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. We are one family, and so strengthen your family. Also, this fits to your biological family as well. Strengthen the relationships in your family. God gives you the Holy Spirit and will lead you to strengthen those relationships. And we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You can turn there if you have a Bible or find it on your phone. And we are almost finished with this book, and then we'll move to another book in the Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible. Next week, we'll finish up this series in 2 Corinthians. This summer, Lord willing, we will be in the book of Revelation together with messages from Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, that we can truly say family to one another, brothers and sisters. God, you've done this great work. Lord, a lot of times we mess it up. So we pray today you would change our hearts, our words, our attitudes. And Lord, we pray that families would be strengthened, this church family would be strengthened. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Your relationships are where the rubber hits the road for your faith. It is your greatest opportunity to live out your faith. And relationships are always a risk. You can't remove that element. Relationships are a risk. Paul is taking a lot of risks with the Corinthians, and we see it in the tone. He brings a tone in this letter that is both intentional and vulnerable. That combination leads to the greatest depth and transformation in lives and in relationships, the combination of being intentional and vulnerable. And Paul pours his heart out in this letter. Yes, grab the principles, but also enter into the relationship and hear the heart of Paul and ultimately the heart of God. What does it look like to strengthen your family relationships? It is a primary calling for all of us in this room. 
You might wonder, what is God's will and calling in my life? Strengthening relationships is primary. We're going to look at four keys. And the first one is durability. Durability because people are not always easy to love. Can I get an amen? Just an honest amen. Some of you have been wanting to say that for a while. Even people you love the most are sometimes not easy to love. And that's what Paul's experiencing. Let's see what he writes here in verse 11. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. Again, some of you have been wanting to say that for a while too. I made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. How were you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. There's a lot of confusion, and Paul brings clarity. When a situation relationally is messy, and even theologically messy, bringing clarity is a great place to start. Paul makes it clear that he is aligned with Jesus, he is aligned with God's word, and that he is a true apostle. It's been demonstrated through signs, miracles, and wonders. What are those? Signs, they have a deeper significance. In John chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine. And he wasn't just changing the beverage because they were running out of wine at the wedding. It was far more than that. The water to wine happened in the ceremonial jars that represented religion. What Jesus was doing is bringing wine, which represents joy, saying that your dead religion can't bring you joy, but I've come to bring you a joy in a living water that'll satisfy your soul. The water to wine was a sign of who Jesus is and also the joy that he brings. There were signs, there were wonders that bring people into awe. There are miracles, demonstrations of God's supernatural power that no one can stop, like the resurrection of Jesus that no one can stop, driving out demons in Jesus' name, healing in Jesus' name. There's miracles, and that's why we have the Bible, the recorded Not just in oral history, but we have them written down. God wants us to know what he was doing through these miracles. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The signs, miracles, and wonders were a revelation and a confirmation that God is who he is and that he is a mighty God who does miracles for any nation and generation in powerful ways to draw us to him. Now, some of us are you know, reluctant. You can't be a follower of Jesus and say there's no miracles because our whole faith is based on the miracle of the resurrection. Now, you might see more or less miracles than someone else. Uh, I think the greatest miracle is when someone comes to know Jesus. I think that's the greatest miracle. But there's miracles in many ways that come. In addition to that, Paul also highlights the Corinthians the hard work. He says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says, It's all the grace of God. I worked harder than the rest of them. God's grace fueled me to serve and to go all out. So that combination, think about it. Aligned with Jesus, the super apostles, false teachers were not. Aligned with the word, the false teachers were not. A demonstration of miracles, didn't see that with the false teachers. And hard work, 
not the false teachers. They were lazy. Paul's bringing a contrast so that people can see it clearer. God in the Bible brings so many contrasts so we'll see it clearly what's authentic and what's from God. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, if they're so foolish, these false teachers, why is Paul having this conversation? This goes back to Proverbs chapter 26, two verses next to each other. I'm going to read both. Listen, because it sounds like an oxymoron. It, it sounds like, wait a second, run that by me again. The first is this, Proverbs 26, 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Have you ever talked to someone who's being foolish and you end up doing the same things they're doing? <laughs> Saying the same things they're doing? It's like, be careful of that trap. Then it says, answer a fool, the exact opposite, according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. And you read through the Bible, you say, is that a contradiction? No. Sometimes it's wise to answer someone who's foolish. Sometimes it's wise to not answer. Don't answer so you don't fall into the same resentment, bitterness, and foolishness. But also, sometimes you need to answer to bring clarity. Paul steps up because those false teachers were undermining other people's faith. They were doing damage in the church. And because there's some damage control needed, Paul will point out very clearly what these false teachers are all about. And that's what he lays out here. Now, Paul is hurt. And you can pick that up. If you're reading this, paying attention to the relational part, Paul is hurt. He says, I thought I would be commended. Have you ever done something for someone and thought you might be commended? Have you ever been faithful, maybe in a job, and thought you might be commended? You've done things right. You took the road of integrity. You didn't lie at the job. You didn't steal the money when others were, and you thought, maybe I'm going to be commended for that. But then how did it play out? Paul instead experienced decreasing trust in distance from the Corinthian church. There's going to be times in your life where you do the right thing, and unfortunately, instead of someone commending you, they're going to decrease their trust, they're going to believe rumors and gossip and slander, and they're going to distance themselves from you. That's what the Apostle Paul was going through. And he shares some sarcasm. You're going to see that throughout this letter. More sarcasm in this letter than other letters. Some of you like sarcasm. You're like, I kind of like this letter. I get what he's talking about right here. Is it wrong to be sarcastic? When is it good to be sarcastic? Is it funny to be sarcastic? Yeah, it can be pretty funny. I think Paul had a sense of humor, but what I see with his sarcasm is he's disappointed. And a lot of times when someone's disappointed, they'll move to sarcasm. Because it's easier to be sarcastic than to talk about their disappointment and some of their pain. So Paul shares quite a few comments that are quite sarcastic. You know, we didn't take money from you. Oh, forgive us for that wrong. You know, he's being very sarcastic here. I think he's disappointed, and he leans in with sarcasm. The reality for the Corinthians is that they are slow to grow, they are stubborn, and they're stumbling in their faith. They're misled, deceived. Have you ever had a relationship where you were hoping more? for the person's growth and development. You were hoping that they would take the next step and it's just challenging. I mean, you're dealing with some of the same stuff you dealt with a couple years ago in the marriage, in the friendship, and you're like, can we move forward? Can we get going here? And Paul, it just seems like the Corinthians are stuck, are going backwards. Maybe you are in a relationship right now like that and there's disappointment. Notice this, Paul doesn't give up. Paul does not give up on the Corinthians 
Moses felt like this. He was trying to lead the people, and he did, out of slavery, out of Egypt and that injustice, into the wilderness, towards the promised land. But the people would not move forward and take the next step and trust God. They kept complaining and grumbling. Moses finally said, God, did I give them birth? Did I conceive all these people? God, why do you want me to carry them forward? And there's almost a humorous interaction where Moses is saying, God, these are your people. And God points out, actually, Moses, these are your people. And yes, you're called. Sometimes you feel like that. God, why did you bring this person into my life? Why did you bring, God, why does my child do this? Why does my parents, why do they do this? Why, God, I'm just caring so much in this relationship. And you feel like Moses, you feel like Paul. What do you do when you're in that situation? That's when the rubber hits the road for your faith. What you do in that situation is defining about how much you trust God and how much you're going to move forward by faith. So what do you do in that situation? This is where it starts. But, but let me say where it doesn't start. It doesn't start if you just run with your feelings and you just run with resentment, and you run with bitterness, and you tell six people how that person is so bad, and you just keep telling those people, that's where you want to run in the flesh. That will not be honoring to God and will not bring restoration. So where do you start? Because everyone wants to run in the flesh. Well, where do you start? It starts with commitment, your commitment. Not finger pointing, not blaming. It starts with your commitment to God. And where you start when you're in the middle of that is you say, God, I'm committing myself to you. I'm committing myself to you. I'm committing to honor you. And I'm committing to treat that other person like you want me to treat. Yes, you might be disappointed and frustrated, but it starts with commitment. And as you do that, your next step's going to be forgiveness. It doesn't mean what they did was right. It doesn't mean healing will come right away. But it means that, God, you've forgiven me. I'm going to forgive them. That's your starting point today. Commit yourself to the Lord and what you're going to say and do to honor God. Forgive the other person. Then the next step is honesty. And it might not be a safe relationship. You might need a third person, a mediator, a counselor, a pastor. But you need some place where you can be honest with each other. And the fourth part is kindness. Commit to being kind, loving them, praying for them, and treating them how you want to be treated. You see, in America, we've got a lot of tension and polarizing right now, and we're going right past commitment to God, right past forgiveness, and we're just going to war with a divisive attitude. And I'll tell you, um, you can see it played out in so many circles. This is where the rubber hits the road, and the people of God who know God, commit to God, forgive, have honest conversations in the right context, show kindness, love their neighbor like they want to be treated, and that's where restoration happens. That's the road Paul's going to walk down in a very challenging relationship, and that inspires us to walk down that same road. It's durability. Well, here's the second part, and this is proximity. And there's proximity because you can impress people from a distance, but you make a greater impact when you're close. A lot of people can be impressive on social media, putting up the right pictures with the right filter and the right angle and putting the right words on that. You can impress people from a distance, but it's up close where transformation happens, where it's life on life, eyeball on eyeball. When you're that close, that's where God moves the most. Paul knows this, and he says in verse 14, Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. 
After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Paul talks about a third visit. The first visit to Corinth was in Acts chapter 18. Paul founded the church there. He found Aquila and Priscilla. And in that environment, Paul went to the synagogue and started to share about Jesus. Some people turned to Jesus. A lot of people didn't turn to Jesus. And as he shared about the Lord, because Paul grew up, you know, very religious, but he didn't have a relationship with God. Came into the Lord Jesus, excited about the Lord, filled with the Spirit, starts to share Jesus. Some come into the Lord, opposition increases. Starts with the Jews, then he goes over to the Gentiles, Titus and Crispus, come to know Jesus. More are turning to Jesus, the church is forming. But you know what happens? The opposition increases. Now there's abusive people there. Now there's real threats for his life. All this happened in Corinth. Ministry is messy. (laughs) Church planning, I thought it was just neat and tidy and everything just goes exactly how it's scripted. Oh, take a look at Corinth. But the love that he had for the people in Corinth, he went through the opposition and the difficulties And the church started. That was his first visit. And then he had hopes for them on the second visit. And again, have you ever not seen someone for a number of years? And then as you re-experience that relationship, you're thinking to yourself, oh, I bet they're no longer in that addiction. I bet they're in the word. I bet they're praying. Oh, I bet their marriage is thriving. And you show up years later and you're like, I think they went backwards. That's what happened in Corinth. They were going backwards. Paul says it's a painful visit because when you love people, The more you love someone, the more they can hurt you. And the more disappointment there is, and the more destruction they're doing to themselves and other people, you feel that. You really feel that. It doesn't matter if you're the Apostle Paul and you're, you know, one of the leaders of the church. You feel it. You really feel it. And he felt it. So now a third visit to go back, that takes courage. That takes courage to go back to this same group of people when some of the reports aren't so good. But Paul recognizes he's their spiritual father. The onus in relationships is primarily on people who are more mature in the Lord. The one deeper in the Lord, the onus is on you, Paul, because the Corinthians aren't there in their faith. They're just not there in their lifestyle. So the primary onus, not the whole thing, but the one who's more mature in the Lord should be the one who's humble, who apologizes, who leads restoration, who's kind, who takes initiative, the one who's mature in the Lord, the spiritual father here, that's Paul, He's going to have to start with some things that the Corinthians aren't bringing. And he is going to do it with both actions and words. Sometimes people say, well, I'm all about actions. I don't think you need to say anything. And other people are like, I just talk all the time. I don't even know how to do anything because I'm just explaining. I got all the answers. And I'm like, well, it's not either or. Why settle for one? <laughs> it's both. It's a both and. The actions for Paul, it means going back to Corinth a third time. The time, the energy, the finances that takes the risk that he's going to run emotionally in that relationship, the words that he does share. Notice he says, I don't want your possessions. I just want you in our relationship, in closeness. That's pretty raw. When's the last time you've gone there with someone? He's going there with his church family. Maybe your life group, your family. I just care about you so much, and I love you so much, and I just want to be closer with you. Saying that, putting that out there. He takes action. He puts words on it. It leads to this question, are you too distant? Are you too distant today from your spouse? Are you too distant from your kids or your siblings or your parents? Are you too distant from your church family? 
Are you too distant in the sound from people who don't know Jesus? I see a lot of people walking with Jesus very distant from everyone who doesn't walk with Jesus. And there's a lot of finger pointing, and there's this fake illusion of a holy huddle. I'm so spiritual, I just distance myself. I don't know anybody who doesn't know Jesus. Well, God moves us in relationship, unity in the marriage, in the family, strengthening those relationships. In a church family, Jesus' prayer was for unity so the world would see him through that unity. Jesus was friends with sinners, went to them, built relationships with them, didn't participate in the sin. But you know what? He was right there going to where people are, building relationships. Are you too distant today? Sometimes, if I'm honest, it's easy for me to be too distant in my own home. And, uh, you know, a couple things with that. Um, One is I tend to be an optimistic guy, and I tend to think we're super well-connected and everything's going great. So sometimes it's a blind spot, and it's just not on my radar that there's some distance there. There isn't some connection happening. Uh, Another piece sometimes is that I really enjoy what I do, and I dive into it. And if you're in a job where you know there's a lot on the line for some different things, it's easy to just keep going there maybe too much, and then you bring leftovers home. Sometimes I'm too distant from my wife and my kids. I thank God for our relationship. I love my family. We have a good relationship, but sometimes it plays out that way. One thing that's been important for Lori and I is to go out on regular dates and as much as we can once a week to have a lunch together. We had lunch this week. I have an app on my phone with open-ended questions. That is uh, just such a good thing to ask open-ended questions. Sometimes I'm a talker more than a listener. I'm just confessing all my sins today. All my sins are out there. Well, actually I got more, but there's a few. Uh, But you know, this question came up, what's missing in your life right now? And that led to this deep 20-minute answer. We just both shared what's missing in our lives right now. And I'll tell you, there's no substitute for slowing down, time together, closeness, connecting, pursue, get to know the other person. And as we read this, I think, and we think about our own lives, maybe we're too distant from spouse, friends, life group, church, family. Where are you too distant today? And what would it look like for the Holy Spirit to lead you into proximity? And I think about our international partners, who, again, are so inspiring. And I want to point out a few locations, because I think this runs true in every place. Rich and Joyce Maddox, Tyndale Bible Translators, they're in Papua New Guinea. And there's a new video as they're trying to guide people out of sorcery and into closer community. Just this last week, one of the Gadsup translators showed the newly translated movie in his village on Friday night. The village leaders told him to show it again on Saturday and then a third time on Sunday night because everyone has something they need to learn to stop sorcery and to build a strong community. The people said they liked the movie because it teaches them about what's happening in their community and gives solutions to bring change from the payback killings, village fights, and suspicion. Look what God's doing in Papua New Guinea. What about Canada? This is from Paul and Rose uh, teaching ESL in Canada. Paul befriended Bijan through coffee, visits together, and then also fishing together. Bijan is a landlord. He came to the Bible study, was surprised to find that we were singing songs to worship God. He was curious. He began to attend regularly, and that was two years ago. He recently thanked us for all the good things he has been learning through Bible study and says he would like to follow Christ. And he asks us to pray that his wife will become interested in spiritual things as well. In Sina and Somi, they met, this is at a memorial, they were interested in Christianity, so they started attending the Bible study. 
become close friends, proximity. Sinna asked questions like this when we're reading the Bible. Who is Mark? Why did he write this book? And what does it mean to love God? Because this is a new idea for me, and I can't imagine what it means. Their hearts are opening up more and more, and they said that being at Bible study has centered their hearts for the coming week. And one other, now coming to here in Washington, Young Life, Brent Cunningham, our partner. They just had an event with 472 families, were served dinner. They had fun activities, plus a devotional tucked into each bag. And then at a recent um, gathering together with high school students at club, they wrote letters to people in prison. And as they were writing the letters to the inmates, one boy sat up exclaiming, my dad was in prison for five years. He said these letters mean so much. And sitting right next to him was a new girl who said, my birth mom is in prison right now. Every kid stayed another 45 minutes after club, listened to these two kids share about their lives. Praise God. The golden thread, and don't miss it, the golden thread is proximity, going to where people are, building close relationships with the love of Jesus. That's the common thread. That's what we see with Paul. That's how Jesus ministered. And as you do that, here's the third piece, generosity. Because what you have belongs to God. It's not yours. You have it for a little while as a manager, a steward, but all your time, treasure, and talent, it belongs to God, not you. And when you come to that secure place, now you're freed up to go for it with the Lord. If you think it's yours, you're going to hoard it. But if you realize it's God's, it's going to set you free, and you're going to have joy as you serve other people. That's what Paul experienced. You can't fake that. You can't just know that. That's what you step into. And in verse 15, Paul writes, So I will verily gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you, yet crafty fellow that I am, here's the sarcasm, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Paul says, I will gladly and utterly, I will invest my life in everything I have in this relationship. How many relationships could you say that about today? I will gladly invest all I am and all I have in this relationship, in this church. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. Your relationships, investing that way. Will you say that's a risk? And it is. And Paul acknowledges that. He says, if I love you more, will you love me less? That's a whole nother sermon. If I love you more, will you love me less? Have you been there? Have you ever loved someone at a six and they come back with a three? How does that feel? Have you loved someone with an eight and they've got a two? Or loved someone with a 10 and they bring a one? Have you been there before? What are you going to do when you bring that kind of love, God's love, and they just don't reciprocate? That was the tension in the relationship. Paul for years loved the Corinthians and he wrote them letters and prayed for them and served them and walked in the truth and they didn't respond. They didn't love him like he loved them. Well, that's the reality of relationships right there. But Paul continued to be generous. No one can stop you from being generous. No one can stop you from being faithful to God. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, because you say, well, what does that really look like? Like, how, how does that get played out? In Ephesians chapter 4, these two verses, in verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, because we need both, truth and love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. How do we grow? Truth and love. And then, notice this, verse 16, from him, Jesus, the whole body, we are his body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what's the best way to connect here at Grace? What's the best way to live that verse out? Two things. Life group, because that's community every week with the same people in God's word, in prayer, in friendship. And then the second one, I'd say find a team to serve. We have, this church is just full of teams, teams in Grace Cafe, teams that are greeting, teams that are ushers. There's so many teams that work with kids. You could be once a month. These aren't mandatory, but if you're asking how to build up, if you love a church family, wherever you are, whatever church you, let's say you end up moving to, um, pick a place, Portugal. What do you do there? Find community. They might not call them life groups. They might call it, uh-oh, um, Grupa de Vida. My, my Spanish is a little off, but you're going to find community and find a place to serve. Don't make that about Grace Community Church. Make that about you and Jesus. That wherever you go, you find community, you find a team, and you start serving. That's the love Paul has for the church right here. And he sends Titus. Other people are going to get involved. Sends another brother. All the people are going to get involved. You might be really mistreated. Look at right here. What did they call Paul? Deceitful and a false teacher. Isn't it iron? There's a lot of irony. It's ironic that the false teachers are calling Paul a false teacher. And the deceitful people are calling Paul deceitful. When people get really loud and finger pointing and name calling, sometimes it just kind of fits for the person who's actually saying it. And that was the irony then. That continues today. Ultimately, there's a heart of generosity that Paul has that's the same heart as Jesus. There's no one more generous than Jesus. Yes, have discernment and limits, but there's a generosity from abiding with Jesus. I see it in our prayer team. Think about our prayer team on Friday nights. How many people have driven by our church in the parking lot from five to seven and just seen the prayer team? Honked, waved, said a prayer, served. Yeah, awesome. And that team right there, that's the generosity because who wants to give up their Friday night from five to seven? right? Who wants to stand in front of a church when thousands of people are coming by? Who wants to hold up a sign? Who wants to have someone pulling into the parking lot that they don't know that's going to pour out their life and want prayer, right? Who, who wants to do that? Like, that's the generosity of Jesus. They're not better than, the, than people who don't serve in that ministry, but let's keep them in prayer. And it's an expression. There's so many expressions at this church of the generosity of Jesus. And all of us can express the generosity of Jesus. I got a text from someone on the team on Friday night, two nights ago. They were so excited because five people that pulled up for prayer put their trust in Jesus for the first time on Friday night. The last area is purity because all of your decisions are significant. Look at verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. We have been speaking, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. 
For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, faction, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged." Purity is the fourth point. Some of you are thinking, well, the sermon should have three points. We don't need the purity part. We do. We do. You know, I had an injury about four months ago, and it was a full rupture of my Achilles tendon. And you think, well, that's just a tendon. And, you know, the rupture, two inches apart, full rupture. And that rupture in one tendon has affected, I now have, working through, praying through, and I'm grateful. I celebrate the milestones and no crutches and being able to walk without a boot right now. I'm thankful to God. I, I also see that I've got a lazy left heel, and I see the atrophy in my left calf, and working with the physical trainer, therapist there, uh, the left leg's weakened. It's included several months of trying to keep alignment with my hips and my back, because that can get thrown off when there's an injury to the tendon. In addition to that, I'm thinking about, and for those of you who maybe have an illness or are going through an injury, there's that mental battle that temptation to be discouraged. There's the unknown, as a physical therapist tells me, the next two months are really key. Don't know how much strength you're going to get back, how much ability you're going to get back. You know, that piece goes in there. I think about trips, a specific trip we didn't make. I think about relationships and activities I don't do. I think about relationships with guys playing soccer every week, just dozens and dozens of guys in close relationships, and I share Jesus, and it just hasn't been part of my life for months. And all these different things are affected by one tendon and the distance of about two inches. Do you see that? When one thing is off in your life, listen, you can't overcompartmentalize in the physical, the spiritual, the relational, the emotional. We have all those dynamics. What I want to point out is that when you're not abiding with Jesus and there's a drifting and a wandering from Jesus, and you might think, well, it's just two inches, that will affect all of your relationships. It'll affect the way you Um, perceive. It'll affect the way you process, talk, respond. It'll affect your attitude. It'll affect your kindness. It'll affect your peace. When you drift from Jesus, that's going to spill over. For the Corinthians, they drifted from Jesus, and it spilled over into all their relationships. Paul walks through this divisiveness, eight sins all tied to divisiveness. He says, when you drift from Jesus, here's two major areas, divisiveness and impurity. That's what's going to show up. Divisiveness, faction, slander, gossip, that will show up when you drift from Jesus. You know, I was talking to someone from India, uh, just a dear brother, ministry leader there. He said in India there's a caste system, four castes, and then there's the outcasts as well. Within those four castes, there's a false belief in India that we live many times, there's reincarnation, and you land in a caste based on what you've done in a previous life, and you've earned it, and God's put you there, so don't change anything because God put you there based on your past life. Well, I want to tell you the truth. There's no reincarnation. We live once. And the caste system, Christians should look at that and say, no, we're going to bring love and break down the caste system. And he was sharing in India, and I could tell the sadness. He said the Christians verbally will say, there's no caste system. Like, we don't believe in that. We don't believe in reincarnation. But then practically, he said, what he sees is that people look down upon 
They will not make friends with. They will not go reach in ministry. You can't marry certain people from a different caste system. There's that spirit there that plays out in so many ways. He said, and a lot of times you can't even take communion with, or you may have to be sitting separate from in your own section. And all that plays out. And he just said, we say there's no division. We say there's no real caste system, but we're still living in it in many ways. And I just thought, wow. Because sometimes uh, it's easy for the culture to influence the church. And sometimes we hate people because they voted for someone different. Or it could be someone's from a different ethnicity or a different nationality. And it's, it's racism. There's so many ways. Someone has more money. Someone has less money. Someone dresses a certain way. Someone else dresses a different way. And styles and preferences. And we let that come in and divide us because we've drifted from Jesus. And we walk in truth, we walk in love. The impurity he mentions, you know what we need in the church? A purity revolution. I might not get an amen right here, but we need a purity revolution in the church. Because in the church, there's impurity. It starts with a drift from Jesus, but then it plays out in pornography. We've got so much pornography in the church. And we need to repent. There's adultery in the church. There's inappropriate flirting in the church. There's people shacking up together before marriage in the church. Like all this is drifting so far from Jesus. And why does Paul nail it so specifically so it won't just be vague like, oh yeah, it's probably good to repent. It's like, no, we need to repent so we're pure, so we're united, so we glorify Jesus together. And he says, I stand before God, and he says, everything I do is for your strengthening. What if we held that? Everything you do this week is for the strengthening of your marriage, your kids, your church family. It's for people who don't know Jesus to be strengthened so they can come to know and experience the grace of God. Everything you say and do this week is to strengthen other people. That's where Paul is. And you say, I can't do that alone. And I say, none of us can. And that's why there's Pentecost, because a church that's divided learns how to unite. And what you notice in the book of Acts is they love each other, and they give their possessions and prayers and their talents, and they're willing to die for each other because they love each other so much, and they're not distant. The Holy Spirit comes, and they unite. The Holy Spirit comes, and they repent of impurity. The Holy Spirit comes, and they have boldness. If you get filled, if we get filled with the Holy Spirit in this church, there won't be a man, woman, or child in Auburn that hasn't heard about the good news and the grace of Jesus Christ if we get filled with the Holy Spirit. It starts vertically. God gives you the Holy Spirit to strengthen your relationships. Let's pray. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, take over. In worshiping God right now, would you think about that relationship or relationships in your life that needs to get closer, restoration, repentance, change in your attitude to start seeing someone the way God sees them. Bring that to the Lord today. Open up that door and that relationship and say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come today, right now. Move in our hearts. Fill us. Your love, your peace, your kindness. Fill us right now. We need you, Holy Spirit. Change the way we see our brothers and sisters. Change the way we see our church family. Change the way we see our kids, our parents. May our hearts break for what your heart breaks for. 
May our love be more like your love. May our unity be more like what you prayed for, Jesus. Strengthen our relationships, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.